0: Good evening, today is Monday, May 16th, 2022, and we are studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter is There is a Solution, and our speaker tonight is Michael. Thank you, Michael.
1: Thank you so much, and thank you all for allowing me to come and speak to you tonight. It's really my honor, Um, especially to talk about There is a Solution, which is one of my favorite chapters in the big book. you know, many speakers have very long years of recovery and they come here and to meetings like this and they share their long history and what their journey has been like. And this is not that story. Um, my story uh, starts in two places. And the first place is on the floor of my bedroom in August of 2020, when I was literally at wit's end and having a conversation with my dad who had died in 2013 and telling him I want to be where you are i didn't want to actively hurt myself but i didn't want to be alive anymore i literally had gained more weight than i thought humanly possible i had no clothes literally none that left that fit and i did not think there was a solution at all and so i just wanted to tap out and Obviously I didn't, and that's how I'm here with all of you because I did find that there was a solution. But before I can get to that, I have to go back many, many years before all of that to a song, because that's where my story really starts with a singer named Connie Francis. Connie Francis, if you don't know her, was a big singer in the 1950s and she had a string of hits and one of them was called Among My Souvenirs and it's a very terrible song. It's terrible in that it's very tragic and sad, and it's about a woman who is unpacking all her souvenirs from her lover, and the lyrics say at the bottom she finds her broken heart among her souvenirs. I heard this song when I was 10 years old as my mother was making dinner, and we had an old AM transistor radio in the kitchen that she used to put on when she was making dinner, and I have no idea why this song struck me so much at the age of 10 and why it resonated me so deeply, but I used all my allowance that week to go buy the best hits of Connie Francis. And I used to listen to the song in our basement. Um, and I would have this, these big roaring cries and get it all out. And that was my therapy. That was my solution. That was my solution then. And what it showed me in the years ensuing was that I was looking for solutions anywhere I could find them. I grew up in a a very traditional working class Irish Catholic family in Philadelphia. And I was artistic and sensitive and a little feminine and none of those things were going to fly very well in that environment. With a father who worked in a garage, my mother was a housewife and I went to a very Darwinian Catholic school. Um, And so I found my solution to surviving my environment in various ways in Connie Francis and her souvenirs and most of all in food. I was the youngest of four boys. My brothers were very sort of virile and athletic and I was not. And there was a five year gap between me and the three of them. And so I was left alone a lot with my Hardy Boys books and my paint by number sets. And I tried to basically stay out of everybody's way. I found the food early because it was a great coping mechanism for me as it was I'm sure for all of you. It soothed everything over. It should have made everything go away. I used to say all the time that you know I learned how to throw dinner parties early, but the only people who were invited were Duncan Hines and Betty Crocker. When you when you when you start young, as I did in the food, you don't know what you're doing. Like nobody's there to tell you not to do it, especially frankly if you're a boy, you know. There was the sexism that went on in, in, especially in a working class environment like that. If you were a a girl who were stuffing your face, you were shamed by it. My cousins were, but I wasn't because well, he likes to eat, you know, he's a big guy. Big guy was the big thing, right? It was almost a masculine thing to do, to be fat. Of course, in high school, I figured out I didn't want to be fat. So then I got into restricting. The train left the station, the roller coaster started and it went up and down and up and down for decades decades. Um, A ritual of of self-loathing and punishment. Um, You know, it's your fault. You're not good enough. Um, And every time life threw me a curve, you know, I got broken up with. I I got fired. um, You know, something else happened. The train's out of the station. Um, And what I really didn't realize was that The food was offering me a way to pave over very deep, very meaningful problems of my self-worth. I hated myself. I mean, I just said things to myself in the mirror that I would never have tolerated from another living person. But somehow being able to say them to myself was easy. And it was easy to believe. And I think because of the way I was raised, you know, I feel like in a lot of these shares, we all paint our families as these ogres people. They were they they tried. Like, my parents tried, they did. They loved me the best they could. They did a lot of things right, they really did. But like, I paid for a lot of things they did wrong. And I paid for it in food. That was the currency I used to mitigate it. And on and on and on and on and on. You know, I just wanted to be like everybody else. And I wasn't like everybody else. And that was really the problem. Um, I hid my shame and my self-loathing. And, um, and and what happened was, is then in order to cope, I had to eat more and more and more. I was very social. I was very successful as my career went in. Um, and that's sort of the thing. There was this Jekyll and Hyde thing going, you know, um, which even the big book talks about, about the Jekyll and Hyde thing right? On the outward side, I had a career that was sort of rewarding, interesting, and at points even glamorous. I was a writer um, and I wrote for a lot of magazines you've all heard of um, and became an editor and had an expense account and traveled around and it was very fancy and all of that. But inside, I was completely broken, miserable, alone, and desperate. And that's a tough life to live because you're living two lives, You're living the life everybody sees and you're living the life nobody sees. And it's funny, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, the famous writer, and he has a famous quote and it says, everybody lives three lives, their public life, their private life and their secret life, right? Our secret lives were in the food. That's where I lived too much of the time to the point where I would go to stand at parties and then plan all my binges. You know, I would be standing there like in a cocktail party. And I've always said this, and I've said this at other meetings. There was nothing worse than standing at a party where two thin people were arguing over who was fatter. Nothing would set me off more. And then I would sit there because I would just think, well, what are you saying about me when I'm going to the bathroom? I mean, what? And so I would stand there and I'd think, okay, how many fast food places are within a mile of this party? How many grocery stores are open late? What do they sell? What's on sale? Well, like, what, what do I feel like? What could, if I have this and this and this and this and this? And I would plan these uh, all while I'm standing there with a glass of wine, listening to somebody talk about like Rihanna. Like it was insane, but I wasn't present in my own life, you know? And as a result, I would take off, pull the blinds, close the doors, and that was it. And that went on for a long, long time. And it's hard. It's hard sometimes to live with the regret and all the mistakes and all the years I wasted in the food. And, and the you know, I ended up single and I sometimes wonder if, if my true love was there somewhere but I wasn't present in my own life to find him, you know? And he got tired of waiting and he married somebody else. Um, and in that way, I can still feel very other even today as a part of my program, part of a tentpole of my program is sort of pushing back against that, against sort of the self loathing and against the regrets and against the, like, why didn't I do this? We have to, because our program is about looking back, right? Anybody who's done a step eight and nine knows like, that's what it's all about. Step four is all about looking back. It's digging up all that stuff. And that's difficult. That is difficult. It is part of our solution, right? There is a solution. That is all part of it, all steps. You you don't get to skip to, you don't get to say, well, I don't like those, but I'll do these. Like that's not how it works. I say all the time, this is a really simple program but it is not easy. You've got to want it. How badly do you want it? Is really the question you've got to ask yourself. And for years, my answer was evidently not as badly as I want to go to this drive through. Because that's easier and it'll pave it over. And now it won't last. But you know what? I don't care. I don't give a shit that it doesn't last. I'm going to do it now because it's easier. And I wasn't ready. I was not ready for this program. And if anybody had tried to recruit me into this program, I would have told them to get lost. I got taken to an OA meeting, I don't know, 10 years ago now by a friend who was in program and knew I needed it. I mean, because we all know somebody who needs it, right? She took me. I went in. I saw all of you. It was a lovely speaker. And I sat there and thought, this is a cult. Are you kidding me with this? I can't wait to get out of here and go eat. Like, these people are nuts. Give up sugar. You're going to, like, you might as well tell me to cut my arm off because I wasn't ready. I wasn't there. I wasn't given that gift of desperation that we're all given and that ends up here with all of us. I wish I'd been given it sooner. That's where the regret part comes in. I wasn't. And that's okay. You know, my journey to okay is my journey through the steps. And that's what I've been doing. You know, I'm on step 12 now, which I didn't think I'd get to step 2. But, you know, here I am. And that brings me to my night on the floor. I was on the floor because the pandemic of course was fertile breeding ground for our disease, right? You can't ask for anything better. Not We're telling you, you have to be alone. You have to hoard food because you can't go out and get it and don't go anywhere. Well, okay, that works for me. Like I ate myself into oblivion and the pandemic started in March of 2020. By August, I had gained 40 pounds in five months. I was already obscenely overweight by the time the pandemic started. So I'm standing there, I'm sitting there on the floor sobbing, talking to my dead dad who was in AA and who I saw recover. I mean, he had a remarkable recovery and I, I missed him desperately. And I just said, I don't know what to do. You need to help me. You need to send me some help. I can't do this another day. I just am not gonna make it another day. And I heard him say to me, go to bed. Okay, that's simple. So I went to bed and I got up the next morning and I thought, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go onto a, an OAMB. I'm gonna find one online. I'm just gonna see, because I, I don't have anything left. I have nothing left to lose except my life. I went on a meeting. And, you know, they say, oh, is anybody new? And <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I'm new. And they said, oh, introduce yourself. And I did. And I was pretty grouchy. And um, and this the chat was open in that meeting. And people could, you know, chat at each other. And this woman who was clearly one of the old guard, you could tell it. She had her shit together and um, loved those old broads. And so she, um, she messages me in the chat. And she says, we're really glad you're here which is a lovely thing to say. So I, of course, because I'm grouchy, I text her back and say, I don't, I don't see a way out of this. I feel like I'm at the bottom of a well and I'm never getting out. And she wrote me something I've never forgotten, which is she said, don't worry, we'll throw you down a rope. And they did, they did. Because I came back the next day and I came back the day after that and the day after that. And I have been in a meeting almost every day since. Because you guys and everybody in these squares has thrown me a rope and then said to me, now it's your turn. You've got to start throwing some ropes down. That's the way this works. That is the solution, okay? You help me, I help you, you help her, she helps him. That's how it goes. It is a pay it forward program at its heart. You cannot keep what you don't give away, right? That's what we hear all the time. And I have really, really come to see that. That there is a solution in the chapter in the big book talks about the fact that it's a spiritual solution, right? I mean, that is the truth. I mean, there's no way around that. And, and my spiritual life was a disaster. I had none. I was raised Catholic, but I had renounced all of that years ago. Um, and I had thought either God died or that God just didn't give a shit and given up on all of us. Because I mean, really, who could blame him? And so I was in self-will run riot. I just thought the only solution was going to come from within. And I had a really hard time on the steps two and three. It took me a long time because I was like, oh, are you kidding? Like lighting candles. I just, (laughs) thank you. I just could not wrap my head around it. You know what I mean? I couldn't get there right away, but I had a great sponsor and I had a choice when I came in, I had these two guys. I was trying to figure out which one. One was like the old drill sergeant type. And one was this more huggy type. And I went with the huggy guy because I just thought, I, I can't be scared shitless at this point. I'm too fragile. So he said to me, look, it doesn't, you know, you know there's not a time. Not, I'm not here with a big timer. I want you to do them right. Don't do them quick, which was really helpful. I mean, you can't drag it out forever. But I, I took my time because I didn't want to say, I'm going to turn this over to God if I really wasn't going to do it. And so it took me a little while. Um, I had survived all those years with a belief that no one was coming. And the reason no one came is because I didn't ask someone to come. You got to ask to get. So I finally, finally figured out I had to ask. And I asked. And I got. And slowly it started to work, right? I mean, it starts to work the more you do it. Like I started to lose weight. I had a food plan. I stuck to it. I had a sponsor. I called him. I called all of you, and you called me, and I read the book, and Eddie Fraser, and you know Roland, and Bill, and Silkworth and the rest of them. Okay. Um, then my mother dies in February of 2021. So I've only got like six months in, and I'm I'm I'm, a, I'm fragile, um, and I just feel directionless. Um, I got let go of my job. My mom dies. It's middle of winter in Philadelphia. I'm like a disaster and I'm feeling really on the edge, but I used the tools and thank God I had them. And I said to God, okay, what, what, what? And I heard God say to me as clearly as if one of you were saying it to me, repeat after me, my new life is coming. So I stood there in my living room and said, okay, my new life is coming. And then I heard God say, louder please. So I scream in the middle of my living room. My new life is coming. Okay. My new life showed up because I moved to Los Angeles where I'm speaking to you now. I've always wanted to live here but I never had the guts to do it. I got a fabulous new job on a college campus running a magazine for the alumni. I made new friends. I go to the beach. Um, I lost 70 pounds. I sponsored two people. Like my new life showed up. Not everywhere. I didn't get the love of my life part, but you know what? For the first time in my life, and I'm 59, I believe that it actually might happen. Because I am broken, but I am slowly gluing myself back together to be able to be a whole person for somebody else, which I never was before. 18. Thank you. So here's where I'm gonna close. I'm gonna close by telling you that that process, that whole process, right? That the big book tells us, you know, if you are seriously alcoholic as we were, we believe there is no middle of the road solution. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible. And if we had passed into the region from where there is no return through human aid, we had but two alternatives. One was go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of the intolerable situation as best we could, and the other to expect, accept spiritual help. That was the solution, and that's what I did. And today, I stand here or sit here in front of you, and look, the rest of it, I still have regrets and the remorse and all of it, but I'm trying. I'm trying to put it on a shelf, and I'm trying to put it behind me, and where hopefully it will stay for a very long time untouched and unloved among my souvenirs. Thank you so much for letting me talk to you today and God bless you all.
0: Thank you so, so much. We will now open the meeting up for questions and for three minute shares. As this is a big book study, sharing and questions should relate specifically to the chapter and step being studied this week. We ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions or star nine if you're on the phone and the Zoom host will call the raised hands in order and ask you to unmute when it's your turn. Would the timer please set a timer for three minutes each for each share and announce when the time is up. If the speaker is asked the question, please allow for Three minutes for the answer.
2: Is that me? I so apologize. Um, <laughs> Nancy P. Hi, uh, Nancy. Thank you so much. And, um, excuse me. Thank you so much for your share. Michael, right. Um, it was awesome. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to say one thing is that, you know, I loved when you were talking about, you know, we don't wish to forget the past nor wish to shut the door on it. Um, and, you know, sometimes it does cross my mind, what if? But my life was imploding so severely that I, I really have to believe that I recovered exactly when I needed to. <clears throat> First of all. And second of all, I can tell anybody that doesn't feel like they're going to get you know, the solution, that it's there waiting for you in the bank and it never gets withdrawn. It waits and waits and waits because, you know, I I said, just like what you were saying, I was thinking to myself, he thinks he's grouchy. I mean, I feel like I wrote the book on nasty. You know, I was surrounded by people who only wanted to love me. That's all they wanted to do. And my attitude was get away, leave me alone. You know, and, and then my, my, um, my punctuation mark on that was this face. Get away and leave me alone. And they all said, okay. But when I was ready, when I was ready, everybody came rushing in and nobody said, told you. They all said, we were waiting for you and we're so glad that you're here. And today I have to say that you know, my sense and this very meeting, I say it all the time, this very meeting, you know, it's okay for to somebody not wanting to use the word buddy. I can't stand the word God. So, you know, so I try not to use it. And, um, you know, everybody, I just feel like everybody was waiting for me and they're all like having a birthday party just for me. Like, we're so glad you're here. Oh my God. we're so glad. And, um, you know it's like i have to beat them off with a stick not you know literally but you know i feel like i'm inundated with friendship more friendship and love more <clears throat> sometimes than i can handle for me because i'm still like that nasty mean person inside sometimes but for the most part i feel pretty comfortable and so this is i could park a truck up to this house that i'm at and load it up every day and 5 seconds after i drove by drove away it would be filled up with with money and trips and jewelry and clothes and whatever else I wanted. It just is never ending and um, it's limitless. And um, you know, that's the solution for me and with that I'll pass. Francesca?
3: Hi everyone, Francesca, I'm compulsive over bulimic, i abstinent today. Um, thank you, Michael. I, um, I just, I love you and um I'm so glad that you're still here with us um and and, yeah and um you've just your journey has just um been so beautiful I remember when you came in and um and I remember when your mom died and um and I remember wanting to be mad at you because I couldn't put down the food. I'm like, damn it. Like he came in after me, like, but I couldn't. Um, and you calling me even when I was like, why are you calling me? Like, <laughs> so this, um, I'm just so grateful um, for you. And um, so many of the things you said, um, this, yeah, the the private life. Oh my God. So grateful that you brought up the whole party thing. I used to, I can so specifically remember like a party, what I was wearing, my hair, my this, not because of the party, because of planning the binge. Because I remember the moment, you know, it's like, no, I'm going to try, I'm going to try, I'm going to try. And then the moment where it's like, no, fuck this. And then I'm just there and it's like, when can I leave? When can I leave? When can I leave? Or if I couldn't leave, it's like, okay, well, I can't leave because, you know, whatever coordination, but it's fine because the food is there. And remembering like I lived in Manhattan and like, I'd leave the bar and then just stop as many times as possible, you know, get a slice of pizza, you know, get slice just, and just eat and eat and eat. And, um, so that is just, that's so important for me to remember because remembering it doesn't matter. Remembering it never kept me safe. Remembering it is not the solution. Um, you know, the solution is the steps. And I love how you just said that, like the journey out of self-loathing is the steps, Um, and, and how, you know, just that you just, you work the program. And, um, I remember a time that, um, I was not, you know, uh, doing well and, um, and neither were you subsequently in in your life. Um, but you're like, yeah, but I made my three calls. Like, you just, I don't know. You have just always had this way of like, just transmitting, um, the message, despite whatever's going on, you know. Um, and so I'm just, um, yeah, it's just like a treasure to get um, to know you and and so many of you, and and to be here with you all. And it makes it like, oh my God, like, like thank God I'm a compulsive eater and bulimic because, like, you know, I wouldn't trade my, uh, you know, as it says um, somewhere in there. Even if I could, I wouldn't trade my worst my best day for my worst day here because my best day is the solo trip to Romania. Oh, you know, like my life, everything amazing. And I still binge and purge on that trip, you know? So anyways, thank you so much. That was amazing. You're amazing. Um, you're all amazing. And I mean it, I'm not just full of shit, which I usually was before. So I passed. Alan.
4: Hi, I'm Ellen, compulsive overeater, Chicago. I'm just getting my voice back from being sick. But um, Michael, I just wanted to say thank you for your share. There were so many things I wanted to cry. I wanted to laugh um, and so many things that I could relate to. And that's what I think is so wonderful about this program is that you and I are probably two very different people with different circumstances, but I think about when you talk about your life that nobody knows about, I remember being in high school and on the outside, I had friends. I was a cheerleader. I helped everybody with their problems. Everybody thought I was so happy, but inside I was really sad. We'd go out for pizza on Friday nights after the basketball games and I would get a salad and everybody else would get pizza. And then I'd come home and my parents would be sleeping and I'd Eat the house by myself, and I—I always—I just am getting emotional. But I feel like I wish I would have known somebody like you and and all of you then. Um, and here I am, fifty-six years old, and those memories of being sixteen are still just as painful. Um, but I'm here, and um, I'm working the steps. I'm I'm in steps two and three about, and, and my question, I have a question for you, Michael, is how did you come to find your faith and how did you come to find your higher power? Because I do believe it's out there and I believe that there's a solution, but, and I'm definitely open to it, but I'm still figuring it out.
1: Do I answer? Is, is that how this works? Oh, okay. So um uh thank you so much, Ellen. That was lovely. Um, I'll just quickly say, because I know people want to share. Um, in terms of how I found it, uh, I was not going to be able to go back to the stained glass scented candles routine. Like that was just not gonna work. Although I do like an occasional scented candle, but the um what I I did is I went for a really basic approach. I mean, my sponsor said, I said, I'm not, how do I know anybody's listening? And he said, you don't, but you can talk talk as if somebody's listening. That's the basis of faith, right? You're talking and hoping somebody, you can't prove it, right? That's why it's faith. So I just started literally knocking. I would knock on the table or knock on a window and say, hi, HP, it's me. Here's what's going on. I am really angry, or I am really sad, or I really had it, or I think this, and I would just spout as if they were sitting across from me. And I did that and did that and did that every single day. I still do it. And I will tell you that occasionally I got answers back in my head. But I got actual responses back. Like the, the, your new life is coming. And like, I originally thought, well, I'm making this up. I'm having, I'm going nuts, right? Cause I'm imagining all this, this is not really happening except my new life did come. Everything I was promised happened. My new job uh, that I just got i t- I didn't, I was six months and I wasn't getting it. And I, I finally prayed about it and said, and God said to me, what do you want? And I said, I want you to give me this job. And he's like, fine, I'll give you this job. I said, oh, really? When and he's like this week, I was like, okay. I was like, I, th- I actually had the conversation the next day. I got the job. I'm not making that up. Swear to God. that's it's what happened. So like, why would I not believe any of this? Why would I, I, I wouldn't be here without it. So I don't think it matters how you do it. I think you just have to do it. It can be an artful, it can be guttural, it can be in your car, it can be while you're, you know, whatever. Just talk because somebody's listening.
4: Mm. Ian.
2: Hi, I'm Ian Capulsovo Reader. Very grateful to be here.
5: Beautiful shares, Michael. Just fantastic. Um talk about throwing a rope. I, I can't count how many times in this program i've been hitting the head with the rope i didn't know i needed to take um so, so many things i relate to i think uh one of them is is like your new life is coming right i think um that was so hard for me to believe when i was in the food it was, it was just so hard but the the i you know i when i would hear people speak and when i'd hear people share um, when people would throw me that rope, you know, eventually I just got to a point where I'm like, I don't know if it's going to work. I have no other ideas, <laughs> you know, And it's like the, the state of having no other ideas is the, it's, it's the best, you know, it's, it's the only way to start. Um, and i was just trying to think of, I had, I had something else. Oh yeah. Something you shared about being in a really hard spot in your life in program and using the tools. Um, I'm not a big book guru. So if, you know, if this isn't true, correct me, but I don't think it says anywhere uh, in any of the program that our life is just going to be like sunshine and rainbows and nothing bad will ever happen. And, you know, everything we want will come true. You know, Um, it's certainly not been the case for me. Um, But, but we still get through it. We can get through it together. And there is a solution. Like that's literally what it means. It's Like I have a way. Um, so yeah, that's all I've got. I'm gonna I'm gonna pass. Love you all. Okay,
0: Thank you. we yeah. will we will now stop the recording for unrecorded questions and shares. Would the Zoom host please stop the recording?